It is great to be back after having been gone last week. There have been drastic changes while I was gone. One is that the Reeds have joined us permanently, like forever and ever and ever. Andrea, it's nice to have you here. Jacob, it's nice to see you. This is my first experience of seeing you now as a, like a flourishing, growing young man. Before you were a small child. Now, all these changes have taken place. It's so nice to see you. Mike is absent with a new baby, I would assume, out somewhere. Is that right? Not so much a baby anymore. <laughs> anyway, it's great to have the Reeds here. And uh, we are just blessed to have them uh, back with us. And God is going to bless us, I'm sure. Um, June and Richie, you're probably disappointed uh, to have them back. But, you know, we're glad that it could be a blessing to you, too. A couple of other things. One is that family camp is taking place next week. And so if you are uh, planning to go out there, great. Uh, we look forward to that. It's going to be a wonderful experience. I've heard that there are a lot that are signed up and ready to go. And so I'm sure Mark has done a great job in preparing for that. If you want to go to family camp still, Mark Lewis is the person to talk to. He's right there. Wave your hand, Mark. So if you want to go to family camp, talk to Mark afterward today, and I'm sure he can arrange that for you. And then in the next week, not this coming few days, but in the week after that, Dustin Lammerman will be starting for us, uh, working full-time for our church family. He starts on the 19th, so we look forward to Dustin being with us as well. I don't see Dustin here this morning, but I look forward to having him here and beginning to work with us. That will be exciting. And there is uh, also, kind of in conjunction with that, there is a going away for Ch Peter and Chelsea that's taking place on Friday night, the 23rd. Is that right? So be aware of uh, that as well. Well, we've been talking about uh, the challenges that the church faces today, talking about some of the major things that confront us as a church family, but really confront the body of Christ at large. And this was really brought home to me over the last week when Robin and I went out. I spent some time on the island doing a young adults retreat at Van on Vancouver Island for, from churches from Burnaby and Victoria and such. And then I drove down and met Robin in Portland and actually had a chance to be with her family as we've done many, many times at church on Sunday morning to Eastside, uh, Eastside Church of Christ in Portland. And I also had a chance to preach for them on Sunday morning. So that was great as well. But one of the things that struck me was just how, and I've kind of mentioned this before, I had this ex the same experience when I came back from Pepperdine this year, just how badly the churches on the West Coast of the United States, Churches of Christ, are doing. And I know that sounds terribly negative, and it is. Like, it's amazing to me just how poorly those churches are doing. My father-in-law's church is not doing real well. I, like, I can remember a time. This is, I, like, I was preaching Sunday morning before a crowd of maybe 160 people or something like that. I can remember when that auditorium was close to being full, and it seats 500 people. Uh, they were excited over the weekend when we were there because there were uh, 12 people who had come from another church, the Peninsula Church of Christ, which was kind of a flourishing congregation when Robin and I were young people. The Peninsula Church... Uh, within Portland has dwindled to the point where there were about 12 people left and they closed their doors and those 12 people have come over and joined Eastside. Now Eastside was excited to have them come and the person who had been working for them full time preaching for them, he joined them as well and so Eastside felt like they were getting a real plus and something positive was happening but what really happened was that there was a church closed and that was not a very positive thing. Well that's uh, 
that's discouraging. What's maybe just as discouraging is that it's not just that churches are, in some cases, are not doing well, but that there's a sense, a sense of um, what I would call a lack of relevancy, a lack of pertinence. It's like the church today, in some quarters anyway, isn't having much of an impact on the world. And that's difficult for, I have to admit, for me to hear. It's difficult for me to face. When I look around, uh, certainly in Western Canada, and ask the question, how are churches of Christ doing? The answer is, not so well. 60 years ago, we were one of the fastest growing religious movements in North America, both in Canada and the United States. And that's simply not the case anymore. The church that Robin and I served in Long Beach, California in the early 80s, we were about 600 when Robin and I left there. I was the youth minister, went to serve the church in Victoria. When we left there, we were about 600. That church today is about 150. The church in Stockton, California, where Robin's brother and sister-in-law were, was probably 400 uh, in the mid-80s. And they now have around 100 people in a building that is just massive compared to the number of people who actually attend there on Sunday morning. And the fact is that this story can be repeated time and time and time again. And here's the line that keeps coming to me, which I find really disconcerting. Scripture says that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And right now, Something is happening which I could only describe as Satan winning. Something significant is going on in terms of the churches of Christ in Western Canada, Western United States. The churches are not flourishing. It would appear as though Satan is having some kind of upper hand. And we, in terms of our influence in the culture, in our society, there isn't much there. I was thinking this morning about, uh, do you remember trimline phones? Some of you who are older are going to remember trimline phones. Remember how they replaced the phones? Like you had the, the kind of boxy thing that sat on the table, and then there was a handset that sat on top of that, right? But then trimline phones came out. They were the rage, had the dial right in the handle. So you picked it up and you could dial right in the handle itself. It still had a core. It was still attached. We thought those were so cool. How many of you now operate a trim line phone on a regular basis? I'm guessing not many. Like the word trim line just sounds so, well, passe. And so we don't use trimline phones anymore, but for a while, trimline phones were the rage. On my trip out to BC, I was driving. I drove out to the island. Robin flew to Portland, and we met there. I actually took a paper map and put it in the car with me before I drove out there. I didn't use it. I didn't touch it. But I took this paper map with me just in case I might use it. That shows how old I am because people don't use these things anymore. To take out a paper map and unfold it, this big piece of paper, which is cumbersome, and you have a hard time seeing it, and now at this age you have to hold it out really far in order to see anything? Nobody does this anymore. Instead, people take out their phone, they punch in a few things, and now they're looking at the map that they want to see. People don't 
fold maps out anymore. If you do, then you're probably my age. But if you're not my age, if you're 25, you're not going to be unfolding a map and having that in your car for you to lose and spill coffee on and all those kinds of things. I was thinking about draftsmen. I don't know if there's any architects in here or people do any drafting. One of the things that has become archaic in our business world today are drafting tables. Do you remember drafting tables? They were huge. I can remember being in grade eight and we were doing some drafting. They taught us how to do some drafting. And so I did some drafting. I remember one particular day when the drafting teacher caught me doing something and he applied a board to my backside uh, right in the middle of drafting class. I never really understood it because I was such a good kid and never really got in trouble. But he insisted that I had done something wrong. And so he applied this board to my backside in the middle of drafting class. I mean, what can you do in drafting? But I did something. So drafting tables have never been, you know, my thing that I just loved. It has bad memories for me. So I'm glad to see them gone. But drafting tables are something that people just don't use anymore. Instead, that's all done. What is it? ACAD? Some architectural program, Rebecca could probably tell us all about it. People designing things on their computers. They don't use drafting tables anymore because some things simply are archaic. And the thing that shocks me, the thing that bothers me is that sometimes I feel like we have about as much impact in our world as a drafting table. We are about as contemporary as a fold out map. And it's not as though our churches are just non-existent. We're still there. But having, in some cases, so little impact. So that statistically, practically, it is actually as if we aren't here. Like you think about the millions of people that there are in Canada. If you have a thousand people that are part of your group, whatever group that is, when there are millions of people measured against that thousand, that thousand is essentially statistically non-existent. Just has no impact. And that's about who we are. There are times when I look and I think to myself, the church is essentially irrelevant. You can hear... The fact that we're losing ground when people make statements like this. People say things like, do you remember when? Do you remember the good old days? Remember what it was back like back then when, we, when things were just so wonderful and we talked about whatever it is that we did that was so wonderful. When people are talking that way, talking about the good old days, aren't they kind of insinuating that the present days aren't quite as good as those back then? And so we pined for years gone by. Some of that I think is just merely perspective. Those who are older are going to look back on the days before them and see good things. I look back on the days when my children were younger and I talk about how my children were young and how wonderful those days were. Well, it doesn't mean that the days today are bad. It just means that I enjoyed so much being a father and raising my children. All that was good. But if we're supporting fewer missionaries now than we were back then, 
If we're feeding fewer people now than we were back then, if we're planting fewer churches now than we were back then, if we were having less success raising our children in Christ now than we were back then, if we're seeing less discipleship take place than we were back then, then it's time for things to actually change. Something new and drastically different has to come along. We sometimes think that we shouldn't change just for the sake of change. But sometimes I think that even change for the sake of change actually positively changes things. And certainly changes are in order when we see that we aren't making the progress that we need to make. And I would say that when it comes to relevancy, when it comes to impact, our churches, those churches across Western Canada and North America, it is time for something to happen. Because right now, it is not a pretty picture. Now, the fact is, is that my experience in all of that has been influenced by what I've done the last little while. I went to Pepperdine. I had a lot of experience down there at the end of May. And then I've been out on the West Coast some and visited my father-in-law's churches and saw some people on the island. And all of that's kind of colored my perspective. Another thing that colors my perspective is who we are. And I have to tell you that I'm excited rather than feeling negative or hopeless about the future when it comes to our church. Because the fact is, when I look at who we are and what's happening in our body here, I'm actually excited, and I think that we buck the trend that is going on in churches of Christ around North America. Let me read this passage, and I, I think this in many ways typifies who we are. This says, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. And my sense is that's exactly what is happening among us. I like the light that we are shedding. I like the ways that we're impacting those around us. And make no mistake, we are having some significant impact. The fact is, I said a moment ago, if we were feeding less people now than we were back then, then we could pine for the old days. But we're feeding more people right now, as many as ever. And our ministry to the homeless and to the hungry has continued to help people get by, and it continues to grow. We support numerous missionaries out of our congregation's fund. I said a moment ago, if we could say, well, we, we're supporting less missionaries now than we used to, that would be a negative thing, and we'd be looking back for the old days and pining for those old days. But we don't have to pine for the old days. We're supporting more missionaries right now than we ever have. We're at a place at which new immigrants to Canada, like Mike and Andrea, can find a place to be nurtured and at which to find Christian fellowship and community, that happens all the time on a regular basis through our church. And I'm excited about that. The fact is that we are raising children to serve Christ. We're promoting a style of Christianity in them that is taking some of the emphasis off of ourselves and maintaining an institution and placing it on the influence of those around us. And so we are influencing people. All you had to do was be here for vacation Bible school. And look around and see all the people that were being impacted by that ministry. 
Things are progressing in that way. It was really cool. In fact, one of the things that happened with our kids during vacation Bible school was that the older group had one day where they went to the mustard seed downtown and just spent the day there serving. And the coolest thing was not that they got the opportunity to serve. That was really nice. What was cool was that when they came back, they were excited about having done it. And they said, we need to keep doing this. This was neat. We went and participated in serving these people. And they were excited about the opportunity to do so. Well, we need to keep compounding those kinds of efforts within our church, allowing people to serve in those ways. And so the fact is, we're living our Christian lives together in a healthy context, a context of growth, a context of discipleship. We're building relationships with people in our world. People are coming to us. We're going to them. And there are good things going on. And right now, I can't say, and I, of course, I haven't, I haven't been here as long as some of you, but I can't just pine for the old days. Because I feel as though God is doing things in our church right now. I don't need to look back 20 years and say, boy, wasn't it great then? We're feeding more people right now than we ever have. Well, if that's the case, if we're supporting more missionaries now than we ever have, if we're more participatory in church planning than we've ever been, then those are good things. And I'm not pining for the old days, but instead I'm excited about the future. Now, here's some things that I need, I think we need to do to even impact our world more. In fact, I would say that we need to expand on our strengths. One of the things that's happened recently in literature, in organizations, in the business world, people keep talking about, and and certainly in education, by the way, people keep talking about how we help people most and we do our best when we focus on our strengths rather than on our weaknesses. The human tendency is to say, well, I'm not singing as well as I need to, and so I'm really going to focus on my singing and become a better singer. But you know, and I know, that there are some people who no matter how much they focus on singing, it is not going to sound good. And some of you are thinking, yeah, that's me. Well, it probably is you. If if you think you're that bad, you may well be. I encourage you not to sing louder in our church assemblies. So what do you do in a case like that? Are you just going to keep singing and singing and singing and think someday I'm going to be an opera singer? No, you don't have the talent for that. That's not going to happen. So what do we focus on? Well, people have been saying that that in general, we make progress when we focus not on our weaknesses, but on our strengths. Accentuate the things that you're good at. And so I've been thinking about the things we're good at. And thinking if we're going to have the kind of impact in our world that we want to have, we need to focus on our strengths. And here's some things I think we need to focus on. First, keep the forefront relational discipleship in our life groups. I think this is one of the best things we do. You know, we've talked a lot about going down to Post Falls. We've talked a lot about the things that we've got out of real life ministry and our discipleship ministry and all of that. And all of that is good. What you may not realize is that we have done as well with that in terms of implementing that in our congregation as there is any church trying to implement those kind of changes in relationship to Post Falls and what they've done. There's a church that went from zero to about 8,000 or 9,000 in just 10 years. And there's some really good things that have come out of that. And we have done as much focused attention and effort to try and bring about things like that in our congregation in terms of adopting that style of ministry as any church I know. 
And so I'm excited about that. I think God is going to continue to bless us in that way. And we need to keep focusing on our relationship, uh, relational discipleship in my life groups. God is going to use those in significant ways in the coming months. Keep teaching our children the Bible. You know, I'm so excited to be a part of a church that teaches kids the Bible. I love the 66 Club. I love the fact that our Bible classes teach kids Bible. That's exciting to me. There are so many churches today that have just completely dumped Bible classes. And we haven't. And I'm glad. I think it's so important that our children get the kind of focused attention that they do. And they get it twice. They get it in Bible classes. They get it in, this, in the assembly as well. Well, I, I think long term that's going to pay off huge dividends for our body and for our kids. And we need to keep focusing there. Help our children become servants. Just like what I was mentioning with the mustard seed and the kids coming out of vacation Bible school. It's so wonderful that we have a chance not just to teach them knowledge but to help them do ministry. And when God gets a hold of kids and helps them to do ministry and not just have knowledge, wonderful things happen within churches. We're going to grow up a whole new generation of servants able to do what God wants them to do and to have the kind of impact on our world that God wants them to have. Utilize our strategic location in the city. I don't know all the reasons that the church bought this building years ago, back in the 80s. It might be that it was simply because it was a cheap building to buy. Maybe it was the one that was available. But God works together for those, for the good of those who love the Lord. And he can take our decision to buy this building and do wonderful things in our neighborhood. And so we've seen repeatedly over the last 20 years, how this neighborhood is changing, how it's becoming more and more an immigrant population. We can have a significant impact in this part of the city and it is strategic location for us to do so. You know, one of the, it's not a fad so much as much a, as just a strategy for ministry that keeps happening is that there are an awful lot of churches who have decided in the last 15, 20 years that they need to go back to the inner cities from which they came. And so 25 or 30 years ago in large cities, a lot of churches were, when they felt the culture shift and things were changing demographically, they moved out to the suburbs and thought, we'll plant our churches out there. And they did. And in many cases, those churches were very successful. But now they're saying, now that we've moved out here to the suburbs and we've been so successful, we need to go back to the inner cities and we need to do things in those cities to bless and benefit the people there and take the light of the gospel into those locations. Well, we find ourselves in that kind of position here in Calgary, in a place where we can minister to people around our building in this culture who need us. And I'm excited about how God has set us up in exactly that kind of position to minister in this position. Find ways to impact our social community, expand our ministry to the immigrant population, to those who hurt. We need to keep expanding that ministry. I don't know what will ultimately come of this. I have, sometimes I have big dreams about what we might do. I've mentioned several times the idea of buying this duplex over here, buying that duplex over there, and doing something with it. Turning the duplex into an alcoholic recovery center. Turning the duplex into a teen center that ministers to troubled teens within the area. There's a church not far away, just on the other side of Barlow, that does exactly that kind of thing in their area. It's been very successful. Maybe that's the kind of thing we need to do. But we need to, if nothing else, expand our efforts to minister to those who hurt, minister to those who are immigrants. It still kind of blows me away, I have to admit, that we don't have an ESL program in our church. 
If there was any church in the world that should set up an ESL program, it's this one. And it would take some effort and some focus and some time and lots of things. I know we used to have one. Boy, it would be great to have one again. We could use an ESL ministry in, in our congregation. I would love it if we had recovery ministries. We don't have a 12-step group, for example. We don't have an Alcoholics Anonymous group that comes specifically out of our building. We have people who work with those groups and praise the Lord for that. But it would be great to see us expand that kind of ministry. And there are opportunities like that that we could use to minister in our social context, I think, in a significant way. And then the last thing is we need to plant more churches. I'm excited about what Peter's doing in terms of planting the church uh, that he's going to be planting and We've got some others who are going to go and, and join him. But you know what we need more than that? We need to plan our next church plant. We need to be planning for the next church plant and the next church plant after that and the next church plant after that. One of the things that we have not done well is strategize and plan for 10 or 20 or 30 or 50 years in the future in terms of what we want to get accomplished in ministry. How many churches do we want to see planted in the next 50 years? That's how we need to be thinking in terms of what we're going to get done. And God can bless that kind of vision and thoughts about where we're going to go in terms of church planning. We do already some good stuff here. We're already working with a church in Lloydminster that was planted numerous years ago, but we've been sending them funds ever since, and that's been a good thing. We're working specifically with Kevin Vance in Regina, and he's got this church that he planted in North Central Regina, in the native community there. It's going extremely well, and I'm glad that we have a hand in that. We had a hand in Journey Church, of course, and that was very good. I'm, I'm grateful that we had a hand in that. Things didn't turn out exactly the way we wanted, but it wasn't because it was a bad plan or you know things just weren't uh, what God wanted them to be in terms of planting a church or something. Now we have a chance to continue the pattern of planting churches and to go from here to, and see more and more churches planted. And as we do, I think God is going to bless us. So when I, when I look at all of this, all the things that we have our hand in and the ways in which we have the capacity to impact our world, I see us in a position that is exactly in contrast to where so many churches today are headed. And I'm so grateful that God has blessed us and put us in that position. But with great opportunity comes great responsibility. And we need to have the kind of vision that allows us to be the light in the world that God wants us to be. A light set on a hill cannot be hid. The light from that light shines and it eradicates the darkness and influences everything around it. And I think you and I both want so badly for us to be that kind of light in our world. There's absolutely no reason why we can't be. We see the light shining now in the darkness. We just need to up the lumens. And I think that God will. Let's pray. Holy Father, we pray this morning for impact. We pray this morning for influence. Father, we pray that you would help us to shine. And God, you have given us abundant opportunities. Some of those we've seized. We've grabbed those opportunities and there are great things going on. And for those, I am so grateful. We have a chance to, to be a different kind of church than so many that I see around us. 
But God, with that opportunity comes responsibility. I'd pray that you would help us to respond wonderfully, full-heartedly, hopefully, visionly, with all of the things that, that we need to do for you. God, we think that you want to build your kingdom in this place. We want to be responsible in responding to your will. We want to help build your kingdom here in a significant way. Help us to do so. Give us the resources. Give us the opportunities. Give us the hearts, the vision for doing great things for you in this place. We pray these things through Jesus. Amen.